I'm up. Good morning, Orangewood. Are kids staying here today? Kids are staying here today. So uh, there it is. I should have known that. Good to see you. What a great time of worship. Isn't that? Let's thank our worship team and praise God at the same time. I, I love to worship with you. I come early and I sit right in a chair right over there when it's all dark in here. And I get to sing out and nobody gets to hear me, which is a wonderful thing. But, but what an opportunity to worship. I love it when we sing great, historic, theological, reformed and Presbyterian songs like Lay Them Down at the very beginning. Wasn't that great? That's so good. And, and this is what an opportunity we need every week to be able to come in, lay our burdens down, focus on the great God of the universe. Well, we're going to talk about remain and rise today as we continue our series that we've been looking at all uh, summer. But before we do that, let's quickly bow our heads and hearts again in prayer. Let's pray. Our great God, what a joy it is to come into your presence today. Thank you for the reality that we can come into the presence of the living God and not be overwhelmed with fear. We know that you are holy, holy, holy. And and as we come into your presence, we're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you came and paid the only sacrifice that could ever set us right with the Father, children of the one true God. And that is what you did in your life, death, burial, and resurrection. And so in light of all that, we give you praise and we ask Holy Spirit that you would meet us. Lord, we need to lay our burdens down. And I, I give you that opportunity right now. If you have a burden, write this second. Lay it down. Just tell him, Father, here's my burden. Take it so I can listen to your word. Take this burden. Give it to him right now. Father, we lay our burdens down. We thank you for the pardon that we've received in Jesus. That because we're yours, all things really do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so now we come and we sit before your throne and we ask that you would enable us to hear your voice. So we pray for the one who teaches that you would forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate infinite truth. For we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about wisdom a little bit as we think about remain and rise. And and we first want to probably ask the question, what is wisdom? Well, somebody sent me some modern wisdom through Maxine, the cartoon character. Some of you know, you're smiling, you know of which I speak. She's an elderly lady that has a problem. She needs Jesus deeply. Uh, she says she's sitting in a chair and she says, I know you have been laying awake at night wondering why baby diapers have brand names like Loves, Huggies, Pampers, while undergarments for old people are called Depends. Here's the lowdown on the whole thing. When babies soil their pants, people are still going to love them, hug them, and pamper them. But when old people do that, it depends on who's in the will. I... <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I told that to a men's group, didn't know if I should tell it here, but there it is. Um, there's wisdom in that, right? Would you agree with me? It's earthy wisdom. It's earthly wisdom. There's wisdom in it. Uh, but but uh, it begs the question, what really is wisdom? Well, wisdom is when C.S. Lewis says, 
a little lie is like a little pregnancy. It doesn't take long before everybody knows. That's wisdom. That's wise. That's a wise statement. Voltaire said something powerful. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Powerful. A pagan. Sometimes pagan stumbles onto God's truth because you see all of, all of truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. An evaluator once said this, candidate A is better than candidate B uh, because candidate A has 25 years of experience where candidate B has one year of experience 25 times. Some of us, as we think about that later, we'll get that. There's a lot of wisdom in that statement. Some, you can get old and not uh, mature uh, in, in reality. Uh, one time I was speaking to a men's group up in uh, Alabama and I was meeting with the men's, or excuse me, it was the worship director of the church. And we were having a great talk. He'd been a worship leader in six churches and was still alive. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I said, Ed, how is it that when you move into a new church, you bring about change in these new churches with worship? I've been a pastor a long time. Worship people can be sensitive and not always easy to work with. How do you do it? And he, and he said this, I wrote it down. He said, he said, you take them from where they are to where they need to be as quick as you can, but as slow as you need to. Yeah, I see a few heads going. I love that. It's like parenting too. You take them to where they are from where they need to be as quick as you can, but as slow as you need to. Wisdom. Wisdom. I love this about wisdom. He says, wisdom is a kind of heightened knowledge, heightened knowledge that penetrates to deep significance and practical relevance. Powerful. Wisdom is a heightened kind of knowledge that penetrates deep significance and moves to practical application always. Wisdom is, is the proper application of knowledge, as many have said. Uh, wisdom is skill in living. And, and, and that's such a powerful topic today. Well, this morning in our Remain uh, series, we're, we're asking the question, what should we do now? Because after Peter's great sermon, first sermon in the book of Acts, uh, as he preaches the gospel about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's, it's a simple sermon. It's powerful in which Peter lays it out. He points the finger at them and he says, you put him on the cross and, he, and the Spirit of God was there because at the end of it, there's an absolute hush in the place. And, and as Pastor Chuck taught us a few weeks ago, Acts 2.37 says that the people said, brothers, what should we do? In light of the phenomenal reality that it is Jesus Christ who has taken our sins, God come in the flesh, he has paid our price, did for us what we couldn't do. What do we do now? Now, what does is, what is Peter says? say? He says, repent and abide, repent, and, and, and believe in Jesus Christ. And, and that's what this series is all about. It's about God's, by the way, that is absolutely God's logic, isn't it? That when you come to the point where you realize there is a God, and that he's a holy God, and that you're not, and that you're a sinner, and in trouble of the judgment of God, if you ever get to that point, and by the way, the Spirit of God is the only one that can make us get to that point, right? We never will admit that we need God unless the Spirit of God does something in our hearts to say, yeah, you need a Savior. 
So by the way, if you're here for the first time, somebody brought you kicking and screaming, it's summer, and you finally said, yeah, okay, I'll come. We're glad you're here. And you don't know, you don't know Jesus. You're wondering what Christians are all about. We're really about something very, very simple. And that is God has done a work in our heart that brought us to the end of ourselves. He showed us that God is, that God is holy, and that we can't do anything about our unholiness, but Jesus can and did on the cross. And so when we understand that Jesus paid the price, and we, what do you do you, when you realize you have the weight of sin and condemnation on your shoulders? It, it just makes sense to get rid of it, right? And that, by the way, is what God has done in our heart through the Spirit. He's just given us an attack of sanity. But of course, why carry the guilt? Why carry the shame if Jesus took it already? And so that's who we are. We're people who have repented and come to faith in Jesus Christ, and we want to stay close to him because he's made all the difference in the world. All right, now, here's the point. Once we've repented and we want to remain close to Christ, what happens if we do remain close to Christ? What happens to us? What goes on in us? Did you, uh, have, you, have you looked carefully at the bulletin cover? How many of you have ever ridden in a hot air balloon? Let me see. Yeah? A few of you. I'm not going up in one of those things. I'm not doing it. And by the way, this is a picture taken by our very own photographer and associate pastor, Joe Creech. Isn't this a great picture? Joe takes great pictures. Be nice to him. He could go become a full-time photographer. Keep him here. This is beautiful. I want you to know. And, but I love, the, I love the illustration. This is so perfect for us today. Because what happens with a, with a hot air balloon? It rises. What happens if we remain close to Jesus Christ? Once we've repented, once we have turned to him, what happens to us if we remain close to him? What happens is the ongoing process of absolute transformation where we rise as people, where he causes us to rise as people, where he builds us where he recreates in us the image of God, the Imagio Dei, where he begins to take us from where we were as fallen sinners, helps us understand that we're beloved daughters and sons now of the Most High God. And then he begins to recreate his character in us. And part of that recreation, that rising that takes place with us and within us as God's people is that we grow in wisdom. I'm so glad that Emmy Thompson is here. She brought up that whole idea of wanting to impart to, to our students wisdom. Isn't that great? We need wisdom. And so as we talk about uh, remaining close to Jesus, it inevitably brings us to the subject that as we are close to him, he causes us to rise in wisdom. And so I want us to take a look at today at wisdom as we look into his word. And I've got five points for you, but trust me on this. I'm going to have you out of here by 2.30 today, I promise. It's, I'll have you out of here on time. The first point's the longest, and, but, uh, but I want you to see what, what Jesus teaches about wisdom as we look at his life. First of all, I want you to note that Jesus grew in wisdom. And like I said, this is the longest point, but it's, it's really the foundation for what we're looking at here. Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52 says this. Now his parents, Jesus' parents, 
went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan. And went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, can you imagine going looking for your, your child, looking for him for three days, finally finding him in the temple? There he is, sitting amidst the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? I've said very similar things to my children. Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been actually looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? And they did not understand the statement which he had made to them and went down with them and came to Nazareth and continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart. And Jesus, here it is, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In verse 49, we see that Jesus, by age 12, had a clear understanding of his identity as the Son of God uh, at, at, at 12 years of age. He knew who he was. That identity had become clear. The New Testament, noticeably, does not give us any of the stories of Jesus' childhood beyond a very scant attention. We just don't know much because it obviously is not important. There were stories that came out in the second century about Jesus creating clay pigeons and then making them into real live birds. It's not true. It didn't happen. Uh, But you might ask the question, how could Jesus, as the eternal son of God, have to grow in wisdom. That seems like a contradiction. He's God. He's the giver of wisdom. How is it that Jesus had to grow in wisdom himself? Well, it simply comes down to the reality uh, that Jesus had to be pure God, true God to take our sins, but he had to be true man. There is one God and three persons, but God the Son has two natures, the divine nature and the human nature. And in his human nature, he had to grow in wisdom. And so we see that, in fact, that's what he did. So Jesus spent time growing in wisdom. He exerted effort growing in wisdom, reading Holy Torah, spending time with the the leaders of Israel. I love it. Asking them questions. I just wish I would have been there. What did Jesus ask those guys? How did he trip them up? Did he trip them up? I don't know. But he had to pray and to think. He had to exert effort to grow in wisdom. Uh, That that great theologian, um, Shirley McLean, once said this. She said, don't evaluate. Don't evaluate. Don't let your left brain judge what you're thinking. Give your left brain more space. As a matter of fact, don't think. Thank you, Shirley. Uh, you know, that's the kind of wisdom that some people give us. But Christians have always been relentless thinkers. We've been relentless seekers after truth because truth himself came. The logos came into this world, Jesus. And he came and he taught truth and he taught wisdom. And so Jesus himself 
had to grow in knowledge and wisdom. And here we see how he did. He, if Jesus had to grow in wisdom, so do we. I, 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 I love this. And men, that means uh, dads, as the family shepherd, as the lead pastor, as the senior pastor of your families, you've got to lead your families in wisdom. O.J. Aldrich, a friend of mine, just told me that the number two predictor of, of children coming to faith in Christ, a number two or three predictor is the grandfather. Isn't that fascinating? So we have to be a part of this process of passing on, gaining wisdom and passing it on. And ladies, I'm not in any way denigrating you. Mothers, you are the preeminent givers of wisdom in the family. As a matter of fact, who was it? Did you notice in the text that first addressed Jesus in the temple? Was it Joseph or was it Mary? It was Mary. Uh, Joseph is a little passive at this point. But the reality is, is that Jesus had to grow in wisdom and knowledge. And, and, and so if that was his call, that is our call too. And it doesn't come quickly. This is why I have to spend time in the morning in what I call my daily appointment with God. I've talked to you about that. I, I, have to, I have to have that every day. I have to have a chunk of time where I listen to God because if I don't get reoriented, recalibrated before my day, I will go out into the world just doing my thing, forgetting that I'm God's beloved son and not knowing what I need to face the day. You need time to do that too. I know, life's busy. You don't have the time. You gotta carve it out. Let me tell you something about the senior pastor when we get him. And I, I, I love our team. Our team is working real hard, uh, interviewing, looking, and they're going to find our next senior pastor, bring him to you. But let me tell you what you don't want in your next senior pastor. Are you ready? You do not want somebody that is 100% available to you all of the time. You don't want that. You want somebody who is going to be able to take some time and, and study the word so that wisdom can seep into his heart so they can have something to give you on Sunday morning. Wisdom does not flow in 15-minute increments. It takes time to come to us as Jesus proves and as we need to understand in our, our own lives. And so we pastors badger you to spend time in the Word because we love you in Jesus' name. And we, don't, we want you to have a wise life because the more you're with him, the more you will rise. We tend to think that it's what we do, but it's really what Jesus does in you as you remain with him. And so Jesus teaches us, first of all, that he, he grew in wisdom and so can we. And secondly, we learn that Jesus excelled in wisdom. I love these texts in Mark 6. Jesus went out from there, it says, and he came into his hometown and his disciples followed him when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many listeners were astonished. The synagogues of the first century uh, had a president of the synagogue, and they didn't have a senior pastor as we know it today. The, the president of the synagogue had to find a rabbi to preach every Sunday. Some Sundays he didn't have that. He just kind of hoped somebody showed up. When they were coming in for the coffee and donuts, he was hoping, I hope, I hope there's a rabbi here today. Jesus was that rabbi this day, and when he began to teach, they were all, this man, get this stuff. Uh, 
Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom, Sophia, wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? I mean, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brothers James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And her sisters are here. I mean, we know these guys. Jesus is a carpenter. Where did he get? His wisdom was stunning. Jesus excelled in wisdom, and therefore every argument that he was in, he won. Every debate he was in, he, he, he came out the top. He operated under the principle of wisdom. Catch this. Wisdom operates under the principle of low predictability, high communication. God's wisdom is always outside the box. It's not what you expect, and so it gets people's attention. And in Matthew 12, 42, it said, The queen of the south shall rise up with his generation, uh, adju- and, the, and the judgment shall condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, about Jesus, it says, someone greater than Solomon is here. When we think of Solomon, oftentimes Christians say he's the wisest man who ever lived. No, he had the wisest repository, the broadest repository of wisdom ever given to one human being before Jesus, and he absolutely squandered it. That's who Solomon was. Somebody greater than Solomon is here. The one who gave Solomon wisdom is here. And there are, there are so many educated people who are not wise at all. Now, trouble... Wisdom can get you in trouble, right? If you proclaim God's wisdom and truth to people, it can get you in trouble. And particularly as we Christians are living in a very, very difficult age now in the whole area of sexual ethics and gender, all of those things are, are really a problem now in talking about them because so much of where our culture is is opposed to where our culture is. Uh, Our General Assembly just met in Dallas uh, two weeks ago, I think. I was not there, but I read the proceedings uh, of um, much of it. And in the Nashville statement, which they approved, it's 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 a document that doesn't deal with everything about gender and sexual ethics, but it does give a good biblical theological base for it, and it was approved. Did it answer all the questions? No, because those issues of gender and, 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 and sexuality are very complex. And, and we have to be very careful how we talk to people about them. But, but as we do, we need to tell them that the reality is, is that the Bible says what it says because it's God's wisdom for our lives. That as we follow God's truth, God's wisdom, we flourish It's when we move away from God's truth that we don't flourish. It's when we make bad decisions. It's when we we jump off cliffs, when we hurt ourselves, when we hurt everything. I learned a long time ago as a young husband and as a young father that if I grow in wisdom, it's better for my wife. She likes it, the wiser I am. My kids like it. My church like it. I liked it. Because it kept me from stupidity. And so we need to be careful how we share the truth. But uh, the truth, the wisdom is how Jesus excels in wisdom. And so can we. Not just gain some wisdom. We can excel in it. And everybody's better around us the wiser we are. Thirdly, I want you to note not only that Jesus grew in wisdom, Jesus excelled in wisdom, 
but Jesus modeled it in every way. I'm not going to read this, this whole text, uh, but if you scroll down to verse 18, I want you to see a, a, a familiar statement to many of you. It says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he's got a demon. The son of man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, have you ever thought about it in your office where you're trying to follow Jesus, that you are, it, I'm, I'm quoting a cliche here, I'm not cussing. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You've heard that before. When you quote somebody, you're not cussing yourself. I want you to know that. So <laughs> sometimes I've found that as I follow Jesus, I, I, I think I'm doing the right thing and sometimes people like it and sometimes people don't. It's, uh, they criticize John the Baptist. They criticize Jesus. They'll criticize you. But here's the last word. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. I love that. Wisdom is always vindicated by her deeds. In other words, when you apply the wisdom of God into your life and you think long-term, students, you gotta hear me on this. I'm so glad you're in here today. Students, apply the wisdom of God. You don't have to understand it fully, but as you apply it, then the reality is down the road you will see it was the wise thing to do. I did the right thing. And, and as you vindicate, wisdom is always vindicated by its deeds. And as we apply it, we come to see how powerful it really is. Wisdom with money. We need wisdom with money. As we move into the summer months, you go away on vacation, give the church your credit card before you go. Uh, we, we've got things to do. We got a mission. We got missionaries support. We got things to do here. We, we need wisdom with our money. We need wisdom with our time. Uh, we need wisdom in every interaction with people. I love it. Read the gospel. I, I'm not sure if this, I, I'm probably stepping out of tune, but the, the preaching team here is thinking about, we're thinking about doing the gospel of Mark later this year. And that would be great because it's a great gospel. But as we think about that, uh, it reminds us that as we look at every aspect of Jesus' life and ministry, he reveals how to interact with people with faith, with no faith, with unbelief. You watch Jesus and how he relates and you will become a better relater of people. You'll be able to apply wisdom into your everyday life. And so Jesus teaches us not to pursue success as much as to pursue wisdom. And as we do, we rise. We rise as people. We become greater people that bring glory to God and that people want to be around. It's a powerful thing. So Jesus grew in wisdom, excelled in wisdom, modeled wisdom, He's unsurpassed in wisdom, and, and this is a really, really extremely short point from Matthew 12, 42, the queen of the south. I've just read this already. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Every day we are tempted into foolishness. 
And what Jesus calls us to is his unsurpassed wisdom. If we See, he is our Savior and our Lord. And we're called to worship him as our Savior and to be energized by his grace as we follow him as our Lord every day. And he is the model for in, in all of this. That the enemy, the enemy wants to tempt us to make foolish decisions. A.R. Bernard uh, is the pastor of a large, large church in Brooklyn. And he wrote a fascinating book that's in it. He said this, when the devil tempts you, he shows you the, he shows you only the benefits and never the consequences. He shows you the short-term rewards and not the long-term costs. Satan wants you to make impulsive decisions right now before you take time to assess the potential outcomes. Jesus Wisdom is so powerful. No one exceeds the wisdom of Jesus. The wisdom of Jesus is the wisdom we see that was present at the creation of the world. Because he is the creator of the world. The wisdom of Jesus needs to be sought in every, every area. How, do you, how, how you spend your time. How you deal with all of the, the multiple things you can do. I, anybody here struggle with guilt? I, I'm, I'm raising my hand. Yeah. I struggle with I have a good friend who does not struggle with guilt. I was talking to him the other day. He goes, I never feel guilty. I think you're a sociopath, I think is what I said to him. <laughs> uh, he, he comes to my Bible studies. He's a, he's a good, strong Christian leader. He goes, nah. Temperamentally, he's just wired that way. He doesn't have much guilt. I struggle with guilt all the time. I read Christianity Today and World Magazine this past week. And every time I shut up, I said, great stuff, great stuff. I feel guilty as all get out. Why? Because they're telling me about what's going on in the Himalayas, working, ministering to people up there. And I like to hike. Maybe I should be out there ministering to those people. And then, and then I was another thing someplace else. And there's people doing this and people doing that and people praying and people giving. And I'm not doing that. And so I struggle with guilt. I'm not as good as he is. I'm not as good as she is. I, and that's why I have to come back to the gospel. Where the wisdom of God brings me back to who I am in Christ. And it's wisdom that helps me see that I need to have a big heart for all of these things. But I can only have a focused life because there's only so much I can do. Same with you. Wisdom of God will help you deal with that kind of guilt as well. My prayer is, oh God, help me say no to good things and I can say yes to God things. Lance Witt said, uh, there's no innocent yes. There is the principle, this is the principle of the distant elephant. Off in the distance, even a giant elephant looks small, he said. But once it gets closer, its size becomes overwhelming. I, that has helped me so much because, because, you know, you want to say yes to everything. I want approval. I can't. Wisdom brings you back to the gospel and gospel gives you freedom and peace. Lastly, I want you to know that Jesus supernaturally imparts wisdom. I love this. James simply says it here in verse five, chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him, what? Let her, let us 
ask of God who gives all men, women, and children generously and without reproach. I know more Bible than I apply. What I need is wisdom to apply it in everyday life. And by the grace of God, we can get it, we can give it, we can experience it. So Psalm 90, verse 12 says this. I open it up. Because by way of application, so where do you need wisdom? I don't know. But Jesus does. Where do you need to have skill in making a decision relating to your your wife or your husband or your children or your work or your time or your money? Where do you need it? He's glad to give it. As you pursue him, he will cause you to rise. You remain. He will cause you to rise in wisdom. And everyone around you will love it. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to order our lives, to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Isn't it incredible that Jesus comes to us and redeems us, leads us to the end of ourselves, gives us the ability to believe, gives us his grace, that causes us to become people of wisdom far beyond what we would think. And then as we rise with him, he uses us. Until the day when he comes again, when we rise and enjoy his wisdom face to face. You take it to heart. Let's pray. Our holy God, As we enter another week, we pray that you will enable us to just abide with you, Lord Jesus, to stay close to you. Would you take your spirit and enable us to be energized with your grace as we study your word? Will that grace set us free? Will you give us wisdom and how we think and the decisions we make? And we'll give you honor and praise as we pray these things in your holy name.